My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you are with us this morning on this uh, kind of quasi-holiday weekend. I know it's like on Tuesday this year, so it kind of feels like a holiday weekend, but kind of not. But we have people traveling and stuff, so it feels a little bit like that. But we are continuing on in our series where we're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We took a little break last week. We had a guest preacher come in and really tie in well with what we're talking about in Ecclesiastes, looking at um, kind of um, resurrection and this, this, this great um, kind of scene in the Gospel of John. I encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and, and listen to that and check that out. It will be well worth um, your time. Let me pray for us. And Oh, I want to also uh, say hi to the kids. This is a family Sunday. So kids, I know we have some, some of y'all who are in here that aren't normally in here. And I'm going to talk to you all specifically today. So stay with me, stay locked in. I have some things for you specifically in this sermon, so I want you to stay with me. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, I'm thankful for this day. I pray as we look at your word today, I pray that you would change us, that we would believe that it is your word, it's inspired, it's your revelation to us so we can get to know you and understand you and know what you're like. And I'm thankful um, on this, this July 4th weekend, um, I'm thankful for um, a lot of the things in our country that we get to, to live in this, this great country. And I'm thankful for the blessings that we have as a result of that. And I also ask and take this opportunity to pray for things in our country where we still fall short and that we would still work um, harder to, to, uh, to, to make this country greater and better um, than it even is now. And we love you, and I pray above everything else today, you're honored, and your son is honored. It's his, and it's his name we pray. Amen. So making wise decisions, making wise decisions is easy when things are fine, when things are going well, when things are normal, but it can become difficult to make wise decisions when things aren't going the way we want. Right? Like it's like wisdom is easy kind of in a vacuum, but then once you throw like real life into it, making good, wise choice, choices becomes difficult. For example, imagine after a long, stressful day, a couple hours after dinner, you open the pantry, first mistake, and see the blue package with the four-letter word on it and start by saying, I'm just going to have two, just two. 30 minutes later, you find out you've knocked out a whole sleeve. And in your shame, you're wondering, how am I going to navigate the complexities of my life when I can't withstand the pull of Oreos? Bad decisions. We're stressed. It happens, right? Food seems to be one of those areas that we turn to when we're struggling, right? But if, if, if things start to fall apart in our life, you better watch out for food. I know I do. You ever notice in a grocery store how they put all the junk food at the entry point and the, ex- and the exit point of the store, right? Because they're the, emo- the, the, the places in the store where you're the emotionally the weakest or there's other stuff going on, right? Like you walk inside a store um, and you probably maybe don't want to be there. Like, do I really have to fight the crowds again to do this? You may find yourself a little bit hungry. You look over um, and you say, why not have not got a bag of chips and a Dr. Pepper while I'm rolling through this store, right? Got to keep the packaging and stuff because um, you got to pay for it at the end, right? You can tell I've done this before. Um, 
And at the end, you get to the end and you're like, okay, I've, I've spent all this money on this, this shop and all this stuff in my cart. Oh, there's some, there's some lip balm that I may need in January, six months from now that I'll throw in there. And then, oh, the breath mints. You know, everybody's got to have some breath mints. I'll throw that on there too. Why not, right? I've spent all this money. Now, oh, it's the single Reese's cup. It's, that's, that's healthier than the four Reese's cups that I normally would see in the other end of the store. I'm going to grab that too. And oh, the, there's the magazine that right in front of me with that, the, the next version of the keto diet. And so after, after pounding the thousand calories I just did, I'm thinking, yeah, probably a pretty good decision to pick up that magazine with the new keto diet on it and put it in there and don't know if it'll ever get open, but it's in there. Um, and then we walk out of the store. Notice that they don't put like the chilled refrigerator of kale at the exit point, right? Right. The kombucha is not next to the Dr. Pepper. It's not there in the front of the store. It's not going to be. I feel like getting out of the store sometimes is like the Indiana Jones where he's got the rock and you're like, okay, I pick up the, ro- I pick up the stone and I put the little bag there and then nothing happens and you run out of the store, but the boulder ends up coming and trying to crush you before you can get out of the store. Kids, talk to you for a second in the room. Kids, the, always the wise decision is to not punch your brother or sister. Always the best decision, right? In any situation. But there's those cases when you've built a, a masterpiece of a Lego, you've put together your Lego, and it gets destroyed. Or your beautiful art gets scribbled on by your sibling. Or you, maybe you lose to them in a game that you feel like you should have beat them at, right? Punches happen. You start hitting, right? Not good decisions. When stuff happens to us that we don't like, we react in unwise ways. That's human nature. That's for all of us. So the question today that Solomon's going to get at is how can we be wise people, not just in general, but how can we still be people of wisdom when things are not going our way? We're halfway through this book, and um, it's a good time to kind of go back a little bit on where we've been and how we've gotten here. I know people have been in and out some this summer. Um, this, this book is written by King Solomon, and he's on this kind of quest, this adventure, and even calls it an experiment at one point, where he's going to chase everything the world has to offer. Right, like anything that your eyes have ever desired, wanted to, to have for pleasure, King Solomon chased it. And he had the means to do so, was the wisest man at the time, was the richest man at the time, was probably the most powerful man at the time, and he had access to these things. If there was ever someone to do this experiment, Solomon was the guy. Right? And then he says throughout this book, he uses the word vanity, meaning that, that, that life is like, like a mist or like a vapor, something that you see and maybe you experience for a little bit, but you can't grab onto it. You try to grab the vapor and look in your hand, there's nothing there, right? It's short-lived, here today, and then it's gone tomorrow. This is life. And much of this book so far has been jarring in its realism, right? Solomon's real in this book. It can be depressing. It can be sobering. But we have to wrestle with these things. This is the road we have to go down to be able to experience freedom and joy. Especially when it comes to wisdom, this life is is complicated, right? 
You can have joy and sadness, anger and peace all in one day, even in one hour. So how do we navigate this experience of life when things are not going our way? Remember, wisdom is not just being smart, right? Wisdom is, is a gift that we receive and we pursue that is, is practical in nature. It's taking the things that we know and actually being able to execute those things as life comes at us. And we need help in this broken world. We want wisdom. We, we want that, but we need help to navigate the world that we've been given. God has designed reality, and it, it's like a piece of wood. And if you, some, some, some wood, you rub along, it's called along the grain. And you rub along the grain, it's smooth. It feels good when you do that. But someone, when you start rubbing against the grain, it's going to hurt. You're going to get splinters. There might be blood because you're going against the grain of the wood. God has made the world to work in a certain way. And we want to be able to go along with the grain so we will be able to have wisdom and live the kind of life that God promises us in the scriptures. Now, we went through Lamentations earlier this year. And so Lamentations sees suffering more from within. There's a lot of empathy in Lamentations. There's a lot of like, I, I know what you're going through. I'm going to feel those things. That is not the way Solomon approaches wisdom in Ecclesiastes. He sees it more objectively. He sees it kind of suffering from above and is looking down on that suffering. So with that being said, let's look at verse 12, the last verse in chapter 6, and that kind of connects us, so get us into chapter 7. Solomon says this, For who knows what good for man what good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who could tell man what will be after him under the sun? It's basically saying, who knows what the future holds? Who knows how to figure out the complexities of life? Just kind of this like humbling statement that, that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Then he goes into verse, the beginning of verse one, and it says this, a good name is better than precious ointment. Sounds very proverbial. These, this is kind of a proverb that he gives here. And he starts with character because I think character, having, being a, a virtuous person, is something we all want. We want that. Like most of us in this room say, yeah, I want to be a person of character. And the way we develop character over time is to grow in wisdom. So one of the main ways we grow in character is to become wiser as we get older. But how do we do this when Solomon has always said, has already said, this is this this is life is it's vanity. It's like a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. How do we pursue wisdom in this life that he's saying is like a vapor? There's some tension there. There's a dilemma there. And he's going to give us today some, some wisdom on how to navigate the world that we live in. So he starts off with this character verse. And then he's going to just start dispensing wisdom. These little, it's, it's like a, an old man, old, old man on a, on a porch. And he's a little crazy, but he's pretty wise. And he just starts spitting out nuggets of wisdom, maybe rambling a little bit. And, and he knows what he's saying. He's confident in what he's saying. But it's, sometimes it's hard to follow. And that's what it's like reading chapter 7 here. Just all these things seem a little bit random, but you get a lot of better than and this is good and this is not, or you could say gooder if you want to go that way, right? There's these comparison things that Solomon is going to give us. And I think the thread tying them together in this chapter is suffering. 
Or the, the, the backdrop is when, when think, then life doesn't go the way you want. Maybe it's not always suffering. It's just your expectations aren't met. You want life to be different. Things aren't turning out the way you had hoped. And that's the backdrop. And now he's going to get into these, this, this wisdom. So verse 1 again. A good name is better than precious ointment. Character is important. And he follows that up the second half of that verse and says, And the day of death rather than the day of birth. So he just said there that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Like what does he mean by that, right? And what he means by it is not our personal birth and death. It's when you observe, and maybe you're a part of a birth in a hospital and a funeral. Right? He's saying there's more to be gained from going to a funeral than the hospital after a birth. Why? Because you go into a hospital after birth, it's very simple. It's just, it's party time. Right? If mom's healthy, baby's healthy, it's party time. They're celebrating. There's not a lot of reflection. It's just show up and, and be happy for the family. Like be happy that this baby's been born and, and he or she is a healthy baby. Right? But if you go to a funeral, it's more complex. You learn. You reflect. It's weighty. It's, it's, it's complex. So you learn more. You grow in wisdom more by being around a funeral rather than a birth. This is what Solomon is saying. And he continues on with that theme. He kind of starts there with death, and he kind of moves down from there. Verse 2, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of of face the heart is made glad. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Or like it's a a place of of levity, of of kind of of, of shallowness. Verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. It's better to be critiqued by the wise, maybe be be told hard things, rather than just being like told told, told great things all the time by a fool. Verse 6, for as the cackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. And we know this, right? People that have been through hard things, maybe medical diagnosis that they've come out of, struggles that they're on the other side of, there's, there's something different about that individual. They have, they have oftentimes grown. They have a different perspective on life, a healthier perspective on life because of what They've been through. And the, the rest of the passage, he's going to start getting more practical on how do we handle these things? When, when these adversities come into life, when things don't go our way, how do we walk in wisdom? How do we do this when life is not turning out the way we want? Kids, check back in with me here. When you get this, right? You learn more when something bad happens than when good things happen. Let me give you an example. Maybe you have a project for school. And you're working hard on that project. Let's say, first, the first example, it's an easy project. You, you do the project and you have no issues. You don't have to have any questions. It's super easy. You get done and then you move on to something else. Great, right? That, that seems really good because you didn't have any issues. You got to go do something else. Now, second per kind of project is you're, it's really hard. You're confused. It takes longer. And you have to ask mom or dad or older brother or sister for help. It's frustrating. You get stuck. 
And in the moment, you're like, why am I having to do this? I don't like this project. I wish I could be doing anything else. But you begin getting unstuck. Your mom or dad comes in and gives you wisdom. And then you finish the project and you look back and you think, wow, I did a really hard project. You feel good about yourself. And then the next time you have a really hard project, you're going to remember what your mom and dad told you how to do that. You're going to remember how to get unstuck, and now you've just grown. You've grown in your ability to do that project. So much more came out of the difficult project than the easier project. So what does this look like practically? Here here he goes in verse 7. Solomon says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. And he's saying that in this world, we're going to be oppressed. There's going to be oppression. There's going to be injustices. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Like, don't, catch the, don't, don't let this catch you off guard to where you become a part of it. You become a, bar, a part of a system with bribery and extortion and, hunt, and handling money really poorly. So it's a warning there. Don't be, a, don't, don't be surprised when oppression comes. The bribe corrupts the heart. And it's going, it, could, it could drive the wise into madness, oppression can, and systems of oppression that you maybe find yourself close to, and you see some gain to be a part of that system. Withhold that. Make right, wise decisions when it comes to that. Verse 8, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient, there's a the key word, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. This is very straightforward, right? Be patient. Be patient, right? And it's so hard for kids in this room and adults in this room. Patience is really, really hard. When you want something and you're not getting it, or you want something to stop and it's not stopping, you get impatient. And when we get impatient, we rush, we get stressed out, and we make unwise decisions. Usually the things that are worthwhile in life take time to develop. We're to play the long game, not to get impatient. Trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's providence. Trust that he knows what we need when we need it. And kids, you're, you're with me on this, right? And really, everybody in this room, especially kids, right? When you want something and you don't get it, it, it's not fun. I want it now. And you don't understand, why can't I have this now? I'm asking for it. I said, please. I've always been told to say, please. I'm saying, please. And that thing's not appearing. What's the problem? Well, maybe mom or dad are saying, hey, right now is not the time. Or there's something better that's coming, and I don't want you to have that now because I know something that's coming, and it'll be more, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy that thing more, so you have to trust me. Be patient. Let things unfold. Verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges, it's an interesting word, lodges, like gets stuck in the heart of fools. Like it seems like it's like cyclical, he's saying here. And we, this, is, this is obvious, right? Like when we don't get our way, we're going to get angry. At least our hearts are. Like we, we, wanna, we want something. We want to take it when we don't have something. When life is going a way that we don't want it to, or expectations are not getting met, we're asking, why is this not happening? Why can't I have it? Why are things not turning out the way I wanted to? So you have like extortion, that first one there with kind of money. He mentions bribery. You have impatience. You have anger. And the last one, we'll label this nostalgia. Listen to verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? Right? It's like looking back, like we, we get it. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. 
right? He's basically saying, you're a fool if you ask this. If you think, if you look back and you kind of think, wow, the good old days where we long to be back in the time when X, Y, or Z, and we all have this tendency. I know I do. I battle with having that rose-colored glasses on when I look backwards. And studies have shown this. Like, when, like we have a tendency, especially when we're looking backwards oftentimes, to think times were actually better than they really were. Right? Like when we're past something and we look back, we kind of long for it because there's evil in the present. We think we go back, we'll escape the evil or the, the, the suffering we have in the present. And that's, that's usually not the case. Right? We need to be a people who rem- like leave the past behind in a lot of ways. Don't pine for the past. Don't, don't dream about the past. We need as followers of Jesus especially to be, remember, think about the future. We have a future hope. We know things are going to get better in our lives if you're a follower of Jesus than anything that is possibly good that happened in your past. We know this. And that changes how we live in the present. But if we're always pining for the past, we're not going to be present in the present, right? We're not going to be present here in this day and age to live life and love people well and have wisdom. So again, he's cautioning us. Don't be a person who is constantly saying it was better in the former days. Because it really wasn't. There was evil there then too. There was suffering there too. And we're often not remembering it well enough. So extortion, impatience, anger, and nostalgia are the four examples he gives. I mean, there could probably be a long list of those things. But those are the four he addresses. Then we have verse 11. 11 and 12 are, are a little bit of like a, um, an interlude or kind of in the middle here. And he, he has this random thing. He starts comparing wisdom to, to money or finances, Right? Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. Verse 12, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now, I think he's just simply saying, if you've handled money well, there's a measure of protection that that will give you. Just common sense protection. You handle money well, you save, you invest maybe a little bit, you give, like, that, that's going to create a, a somewhat of a protection. And he's just comparing wisdom to that. If you cultivate wisdom, if you develop your wisdom, it's going to protect you, create a buffer around you um, as you live life. Right? Now, we're here towards the end of this. And you may think, okay, Solomon, he's about to, he's about to land the plane here. He's about to wrap this up in a nice bow. He's going to give us the five steps to having... Uh, perfect wisdom in your best life now? Wrong. It's not what he does. And we should know this about Solomon if we spend any time reading Ecclesiastes. And it's a good news because if he left it like that, it basically put all the pressure on us. Okay, life is really hard. It's really complex. Here are five steps. Good luck, try hard, and see where that takes you, right? And that will take us nowhere because we all fail in our ability to have wisdom, especially when it comes to blue wrappers with four-letter words on it in our pantry, right? We can't even control that thing in our life. So let's look at verse 13. It's kind of a surprise ending. At least I think it is. He says, consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. God has made something crooked, And he's saying, it's a rhetorical question. Who can make straight something that God, the God of the universe, has made crooked? And the answer there is no one can but God. 
Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, right? When you have good days, enjoy them. When you have good gifts, enjoy them. Like the, the blessings you have in your life, enjoy them. Then he says, in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Why? Here's the so that, this, this clause that is, is basically the cause of it. So the cause of God doing that is this. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So to kind of keep us in our place, to keep us humble, to, to, to make sure that we know that there's a gap between him and us. We don't know all that he's doing. We can't understand what he's doing when we're going through adversity. It's hard for us to see beyond what's immediately in front of us because we're human and we're finite and we're limited. I love the way Eugene Peterson um, translates this or gives commentary on it in, in the message, verse 14 here. He says, on a good day, enjoy yourself. On a bad day, examine your conscience. God arranges for both kinds of days so that we won't take anything for granted. Like we remember who we are, Eugene is saying there. So God is the one who made creation. He made it all. And originally he made it straight. But when sin came into the world, you kids know this, right? The story, right? The, the snake tempts Adam and Eve. They sin. Um, the world is shattered and broken. Nothing is ever the same. Now the world is crooked. God gives curses on the world. And life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And when he says crooked, this isn't... Um, necessarily a moral statement. He's not saying, oh, wicked. There's obviously wickedness in the world too, but in this case, he's saying that things aren't just gonna be the way you expect them to be. Things aren't, aren't always going to turn out the way you want them to because things are just a little crooked. Maybe sometimes a lot crooked, but they for sure are not going to be straight in this world. Things are gonna be hard. Things are gonna be confusing. Everything Solomon is saying in this book is because of the crookedness that we find ourselves in in this world. And nothing can overcome this, he's saying. Nothing that man can do can overcome this crookedness. Only God can fix the crookedness. So the preacher says, the Solomon here, in this, in, this, uh, in this book, he's basically doing the best we can. He's like, try to do the best you can, right? Have some wisdom. Here's some, here's some words of advice Prepare yourself for disappointment in life because it's coming. Oppression's going to be there. And we get to this point, and what this should produce in us before we go any further is humility. It should produce humility. That God has arranged things in a certain way in his sovereignty and providence to remind ourselves, remind us that we're human and that we're not him, and that we're dependent upon him, and we need him. He says, live the best you can but be, be, know that nothing will save you. Nothing you can do can make straight what is crooked. The things around you, you can't life hack your way to more wisdom. You can't life hack your way to more joy or free. Like, we can't do that. We can't make straight what God has made crooked. So at this point, God has given us this book, this book of wisdom from Ecclesiastes. In a passage like this, we should be leaning in. Right, God, we should be leaning in here with a little bit of desperation, with some humility, say, God, what, what now? What do we do? Where do we go? What's the answer here? Right? I want to be wise. I know you want to be wise. How can we be wise if everything we see around us is crooked? This humbles us. 
And, he, and God has us right where he wants us if we're humble. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1. This is Paul's teaching on this. We have the benefit now, as we talked about all throughout this book, Solomon is writing before Jesus came as a human into the world, right? We find ourselves after that. And that's the really good news. We get to look back through the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Spirit. But the not yet of Jesus coming again, but we get to look back at the good news in the person of work of Jesus. Let's look at verse 24. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, which was everybody in that city at that time, he kind of lumped everybody in there, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, there's that word wisdom, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Here's the key. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God to humble us. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ. You're united to him. You're together with him. Who became to us, so what who Jesus is, wisdom from God. Right there. For what we're talking about today, that's the key phrase. But we also think of this other stuff when we think of the gospel. Right? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All those these massive big words that we, we, we think about when we think of the cross and the resurrection, the gospel. But we can't miss that first one. Jesus is also the wisdom from God. And maybe more than those, even those other three that are listed there by Paul, this matters for now. Like wisdom is a present thing. Like we are, like we are growing in wisdom today. As we are sitting there in your seat, you're growing in wisdom. Today when we, you go home or whatever you're going to do, you have the opportunity to grow in wisdom. And Paul here is telling us that Jesus is the, is the wisdom from God. So if we're after wisdom, if we're chasing, pursuing wisdom, it's found in Jesus. We need to go to Jesus. Look at verse 31. So that, so all that was said, so that, there's another kind of clausal statement there, or a preposition, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when we ask, well, what is this? What does this mean? Also, I forgot to mention, Colossians 2, 3, Paul says he describes um, Jesus as all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. So we wait, or we have to wait for Jesus to return when he makes all the crooked things straight. We have to wait for that. We find ourselves in this already but not yet time. So we take Ecclesiastes and let it do with us what I think it's supposed to do. It's supposed to humble us. It's supposed to cause us to lean in and ask, well, where do we go? How do we find wisdom in this world that he constantly says is vanity? It's like a vapor, it's mist, and we go to Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We, we have faith in Jesus. And we, we do our best to cultivate the wisdom with him being the center of our lives. So what's the application here? What do we do? Kids, what am I asking you to do here, right? We're leaving this place. This should change the way we behave when we leave here. So how are we supposed to do this? Well, there's two verbs 
that he uses here. And to know what we're supposed to do when we read the Bible, you follow the verbs. There's a verb in verse 13. There's a verb in verse 14. They're both consider. Verse 13, consider. That's something he's calling us to do. So consider the work of God. And that concludes all the work of God, right? Which is Jesus. That's a part of the work of God. God's sending Jesus and everything that comes with the gospel. Consider that. Remember that. Reflect on that. And then verse 14, we have the consider in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, when things don't go right, consider, right? Think about Jesus. Reflect on Jesus. Go to the Bible. Read your Bible, kids, when things aren't going well. Ask yourself, well, why are things not going well? Why am I sad right now? Why am I angry right now? Why, Why do I feel the way I feel on the inside? Talk to your parents about it. Right, process with them. This is what we do when we don't feel good, when something's not going our way. Consider, consider it has words like think and reflect and ponder and meditate. And I think the easiest thing is, one, be humble, right? So consider it should produce humility in us. Two, take something in your life that, you, that is not turning out the way you want it to right now. Take patience, we could probably all point to something right now that we're losing our impatience. It's causing us to be impatient over. So take that. Why am I impatient with this? Why do I want this to happen sooner than it's happening? And then we think about the gospel, right? Consider the work of God. Consider Jesus, that he's a good father, that if you are in Christ, you've been adopted by a good father. He loves you as his child, and he wants to, good, wants to give good gifts to you. Now, it's not the gifts that maybe the world thinks are good. It's not the gifts that we think are good in the moment. We have to trust him knowing he knows what's best for us and when it's best to give it to us or not give it to us. And we trust that. We have to lay that down before him. And why should we trust him? Because of Jesus. Romans 8, the end of Romans 8. That's why we trust him. Those of you who want to read more, read the end of Romans 8. This is why we can trust him in that. So kids, when you're impatient, when you want something to happen next time and you're frustrated, right? Remember Jesus. Remember, remember God sends Jesus because he loves people who aren't perfect, people who are sinful. He sends Jesus to save those kinds of people because he loves people who aren't perfect. He loves people that don't like it when they don't get their way. He loves those kinds of people. He sends Jesus so he can save those kinds of people. So maybe you're in here, kids, and you, 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 you don't, you're not a Christian. And you haven't professed faith. You haven't done that thing yet, right? So maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day where you say, God, I want help. I want help. I, I want to, to understand more about you. I believe that you love me and you saved me. Kids in this room who are already Christians, go back to Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. You're his, you're united to him. When things don't go well for you, go to him. Go to him and trust that he loves you. Maybe it won't happen today you get what you want, but he's a good father who knows exactly what you need and he'll give it to you when you need it. So collectively, when when, when things go well, we look to Jesus and we're thankful to him. When things don't go well, we still look to Jesus and ask him to help us trust him. Give us wisdom. Help us grow through the challenges or the suffering that we face. Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you give us the Bible that allows us to learn about you, helps us grow in wisdom. But most of all, we see the story of your son who died for people who are sinful, who aren't perfect, because we can't save ourselves. We can't grow in the wisdom we all want to grow in on our own. We need help. We're thankful that you sent your son to help us. And we love him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.